You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Welcome, welcome. We are continuing uh, the series they called Father of Faith, the Life and Legacy of Abraham. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, I'm digging this series. I, I've said this in week one. I, this is a really, really personal series for me because Abraham is just one of those people in the scriptures that, that resonates with my heart, his story. Uh, I get so much out of, and I hope that we as a church, by the time that we're all done, we all uh, are, are getting some stuff out of this as well. If you got a Bible, do me a favor, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. Genesis 16, if you're like, if you're new to the Bible, and you're like, how do I find Genesis? Real simple, just open it, and boom, there it is. Um, but we're going to be in chapter 16. Um, let me just recap the story a little bit while you're turning there. So Thus far, what we learned about Abram is this. Abram was an incredibly, or Abram who would become Abraham and Sarai, who would become Sarah, his wife. Um, when God finds them, they are not really remarkable people at all. We, we saw in week one some of his flaws. We're going to see more uh, today. But, but what happens is this. Here's this guy that, that's just kind of going through life. He's an old man. He has no descendants. And God shows up out of nowhere and says, all right, listen, I want you to leave everything behind and go to a land that I will show you. And, and, and Abram, to his credit, says, okay, he steps out in faith, he goes, and then things go almost immediately wrong, uh, and, and we saw that in week one. And, and along the way, God promises him, he says, all right, listen, I'm going to give you descendants so numerous, they're, they're, they're more than the stars, you can't even count them, and I'm going to give you land, and it's going to be amazing. That was, that was when, Abram, when Abram was, I think, 75, but now, at this point in our story, it's been about a decade, and nothing's happened. I don't know if you've ever been there in life where, okay, like, like you've been waiting for the Lord to do something. It's been a really long time. That's where Abram and Sarai are when, this, when, when we pick up the story. Okay? Like they've been waiting and waiting. Our God, you said you were going to do this, but nothing has happened. Like, where are you? What is it that, that you're planning to do here? I just, I just, I'm, I'm praying and I'm praying. You ever been there in life? Okay, like I'm praying and nothing has happened. All right? And maybe we haven't waited 10 years or so, but we've waited a while. Okay, like God, I need you to intervene. I need you to show up. And for whatever reason, heaven is silent. And we just wonder like, God, do you even hear me? And so today, I want us to answer a question together. It's, it's, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the question that we want to answer today, okay? It's, what do you do when you believe that God is not going to come through for you? Let me ask that again. What do you do when you believe that God is not going to come through for you? Now, we won't vocalize it like that. We're smarter than that. But we feel it, right? Okay, like, if I do God's way of things, I will miss out. If I do God's way of things, like, you know, things won't go as well as they could. And I don't even know that God wants to be involved. I don't even know that God is going to do anything. I mean, think about how we experience this. Maybe, you know, maybe for you, you've got goals for your life. You know, by X age, you should have blank, right? So by 30, you should be married with three kids. Or by 40, you should be at a different like, position in your company. Or by 50, you should be, have this house and this community. But like, you have these goals, right? like this is how I want my life to go. And, 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 you've seen, and you're, like, you're a Christian, you're like, oh God, I entrust it to you. But, but here's really what I want to have happen, okay? And that time goes forward. And things don't look the way that you thought that they would. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, okay, th- these were my goals. This is how I expected it to be. And God, y- you haven't come through for me. 
Or maybe, okay, maybe for you, like you're faced with like a pressing decision, right? You've got this thing to do with work or this thing to do in life, and you're like, okay, uh, everything around me is telling me I should do this, um, and, and, and I'm not sure what the Bible says about that or not, but I just feel like I've got to you know, take matters into my own hands. I've got to make something happen, and so you decide to step out. And that's what most of us do. Most of us decide, okay, listen, if heaven is silent, that means it's my green light to make earth my domain. It means, like, if heaven doesn't speak, that means it's up to me to get it done. It's up to me to take the reins. It's up to me to take matters into our own hands. Because let's just face it, okay, we have a real hard time with waiting. Come on, just think about, like, who we are as people. I mean, if you want, like, the, the impatience, right? We don't have, we don't just have food. We have fast food, right? <laughs> and, if, and if you wait five minutes in line, it's not fast enough. You ever think about how we're wired? I mean, you go to the you go to the grocery store, right? And we, we are so like we just want we want it to be so streamlined. We now have grocery stores where you don't even have to check out. You just take a gun, you scan things, and then you scan a thing and you leave. There's no checkout involved. There's no waiting. Or if we end up waiting, we find ourselves in line, comparing ourselves to the other line that we could have been in to see if they're going faster than we would have gone, right? Because just like waiting, we have a real hard problem with i mean for goodness sake if you thought of this idea like one of the most often misquoted things among americans that we think is in the bible that absolutely is not is this phrase right here god helps those who help themselves right like oh some of you are like that's not in there no no it's so contrary to the scriptures this idea of like, like, don't help yourself, give it over to God, wait on the Lord. That's so, I mean, but, but we think this, right? Like, we think it's okay. No, it's in the book of 1 B.S. chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Like, that's, okay. It's not. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. So, um, but, but, but we think this, right? Because we have a hard time with waiting. And here's the fun thing. When we pick up the story today, that's where Abram and Sarai are. They've been waiting, and they've been waiting, and they've been waiting, and it just seems like God could not care less. And so here's this promise. I'm going to bless you with descendants. Only now, not so much. And so here's what happens in Genesis chapter 16, starting verse 1. It says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, which is not the most feminine-sounding name to us, but, you know, whatever. All right. So she said, don't, just, okay. So she said to Abram, if your name is Hagar, I apologize. All right, look. Gosh, that would be weird. All right. So she said to Abram, well, look, the Lord has kept me from having children. So here's what we do, problem solving, okay? We get a whiteboard, we'll work it all out. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, let's pause there for a second. I think we can all agree, messed up. But, but here's the thing to know, and you should just know this, okay? That's not uncommon in that world. That is to say, like, like this idea of, okay, you know, we're not having any kids, and, and life is all about lineage, it's all about descendants. The popular notion, okay, if, if, if you know, your wife uh, doesn't have a child, and you're not able to, like, you guys can't conceive, okay, uh, what we'll do is, like, if you're rich, you have a slave, you bring the slave in, and then what should happen is this. What should, and again, archaic, we don't condone this, the Bible clearly doesn't, as we're about to see, but like, uh, you know, the thought goes, okay, like, then what you'll do is you'll raise that child of the slave as a surrogate. And so what Sarai thinks will happen is this, okay, like, like my, my slave will get pregnant and the child will be as mine and I'll still maintain honor and we'll get what we want. And it's interesting to note, by the way, 
here's the heart behind all of it, because this is the, the world and the culture around them. Here's basically what they're saying, okay? God hasn't shown up, so we'll just do what everybody else does. Now, when has that ever worked? But, but okay, we do this too, all right? Listen, you know, I, I, I'm feeling lonely. I'm single, ready to mingle, and... And, and I'm not seeing any, any any godly men or any godly women, and so I'll just I'll just hook up with so and so, right? Because I want this 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 itch to be scratched in, inside me. I'll just do what everybody else does. Hey, okay, like I'm not making enough at work, and so what I'll do is I'll stab somebody in the back. I'll I'll gossip. I'll paint them in a negative light so I can get more. Because it's dog eat dog, that's just how the world works, that's what I'll do. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not making enough on my tax returns, so I'll just fudge the numbers a little bit. A little white lie never hurt anybody. All right, what was it? I mean, I'll just do what everyone else does. I mean, we all do this at points. And it's interesting to know that Sarai, in her reasoning here, in her reasoning here, what she's suggesting technically fulfills the promise of God to them. Right, God never said, at this point, he will later on, but at this point, God never says, all right, listen, you're going to have a child through Sarai. He never says that. He says, you're going to have descendants. And so she goes, okay, well, look, it's obviously not me. Like, right, God hasn't shown up. So what I'll do is here's how we make it happen. We'll take the reins. We'll do something else. And here's why this is important. Okay, with this idea of technically fulfilling the promise. Because most of us, when we mess up, and most of us, when we fall, we don't begin that morning with an all-out rebellion. We, we don't get up in the morning and go, you know what today I'm going to do? I'm going to do the will of Satan. That's what I'm going to do. And, like, and if, if you've said that, you're weird, but we're glad that you're here. Um, but, but instead what we do is this, like, we, we try to find the gray space. Right? Like, we, we try to find this place, like, okay, I'll, I'll just kind of, it's not that the Bible necessarily says anything about that or if it does we'll just kind of minimize it and not think about it let me just sort of work into this little gray space so i can get done what i've got to get done to be happy it's this it's this idea of okay like i'll make it work and it's here that i just need it. this should be a no-brainer but for whatever reason it's not because we're really good at selling ourselves on whatever we want and so and so look just in, in case you're curious here's a little fun tweetable statement for you today if you're trying to figure out like should i do this or not okay here's the deal if it robs you of your integrity it's not god's will duh but but it's not a duh in that moment is it okay like if it robs you of your integrity it's not god's will okay but but does it really rob me of my integrity if i'm lying yes does it, but does it really rob me of my integrity if you know like listen like we're on the way to marriage but we're not quite there yes Okay, but does it really rob me of my integrity? It's, just, it's a white lie. It's not a black lie. It's not like a dark lie. It's not like a, people are going to be hurt. But yeah, it does rob you of your integrity. Don't do it. And so, or we, we use the line like this. We'll say, um, we'll say, well, can I still be a Christian and blank? Right? Like, will I still keep my salvation if I do this? And, and like, dude, if you're asking that question, your heart's not in the right place. Because you're not asking, how can I get closer to Jesus? You're asking, what can I get away with and not be uh, you know, penalized for it? Mm. And so here's where Abram and Sarai, okay, listen, God hasn't shown up. We've got things that we need to have accomplished, so let's go ahead and we'll do this. And now we're going to watch as it blows up in their faces gloriously. You ready? Okay, so Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So, babe, I want you to sleep with my, my servant. Okay. All right, moving on. Moving on. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Let's understand 
how active this is. And, and, and Moses, the author of Genesis, what he's doing right now is he's going out of his way to show how active Sarai is in this story for a, a reason that we'll get to in a minute. But so just check this, okay? That it's not just Abram going, hey, here's what we do. Sarai goes, all right, listen, here's what we should do. And then this idea of her bringing her uh, to, to Abram to be his wife, basically it's like her walking her slave down the aisle. Like she, her hand is on it so much, she's instigating the marriage. And so, here's what happens. So he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when, next part, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, as I think any of us, we don't have a hard time understanding that, right? Like who, oh, oh you want me to, to, to marry against my will your octogenarian husband? Got it, check. Like we would probably have a problem with that. And here's the, here's the situation, okay? All this time, Hagar has been a slave, and, and Sarai, she's been looking down on her. She's been treating her as a slave. She's been mistreating her. She's been, she's been treating her as an inferior. She's been treating her as someone you know, less than her. But now, see, now for the first time in her life, Hagar has the upper hand because she's a wife now. And of the two of them, if in that world, the way that you prove your worth as a wife is to have a kid, she's the one who does it. So, so she basically looks at Sarah, or Sarai and goes, I'm not taking any crap from you anymore. And she, so she, right, you, you said this to me, but no, 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 now it's my day. Now it's my turn. Now listen, you were like this to me, but no, no, not a day longer. She despises her. And it's important to note this. Um, for those of us, the next time that we feel as though compromising will give us what we want, it's just important to realize that, that compromise, sin, it never brings you the satisfaction that you thought it would. Sin always, always promises more than it can deliver. Have you learned that? And so, okay, this is, here's, here's Sarai. This is what I want. This is what I'll do. We'll make this happen. They go down a road. They clearly shouldn't go down. And now it gets worse. So then Sarai said to Abram, remember who instigated all this? But look what she says. You, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Okay, listen, okay, okay, listen. If you hadn't slept with this girl at my idea and, and, and pushing, then none of this would have happened. Okay, you're responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave, she says, it continues, okay. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. Can you believe that? <laughs> May the Lord, that's how she is, spiritual now. May the Lord judge between you and me. Just a side note. Um, how many of us in life, and let's just be real, don't raise your hands, it'd be weird, but, but how many of us in life have a hard time owning it when we screw up? It's always somebody else's problem. It's always somebody else's fault. And it's not that Abram is blameless, clearly not. But the way the narrative is constructed, it's meant to show us that Sarai is really pushing for this. And so when it goes badly, she says, oh, no, 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 it's, it's your fault. Listen, I gave you my slave, and, and things are so poor. Like, okay, when was the last time like, we just absolutely owned it when we dropped the ball? We don't. We minimize, right? It's always like, okay, so, well, okay, yeah, I said this, but it's only because you said it like this. All right, yeah, I did that, but because it's only because my parents didn't love me enough. And all right, like, it just on and on and goes, it's, it's always someone else's fault. What would happen if we just owned it when we dropped the ball? We have a hard time with this. We, we, I mean, for goodness sakes, think, think about our, our, our culture. What, what's the motto in the service industry? The customer is always 
right, even when they're absolutely not. But there's this pride, there's this entitlement. I was reminded of this uh, not too long ago. I saw a, 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 a billboard, came from a lawyer's office in North Carolina. Here's what it said, and forgive me for the image quality, but basically it says this. Just because you did it doesn't mean you're guilty. <laughs> Some of you are like, can you unblur that phone number? We're praying for you. <laughs> Hey, let's just, let's just get that out of there. Get, get, get it going. All right, look. <laughs> I mean, think about the last time you had a fight with your spouse. I know, I know, I know. I, I, I might be the only less than sanctified person who sometimes fights with my spouse. You, you might be perfect, but um, you ever think about that? You ever have one of those moments with, with your spouse where, like, you're arguing, and in the middle of it, you realize, oh, no, they're right, and I'm wrong. Like, you ever had that? I mean, like, you're in it, right, and you're going for it, and in the middle of it, you're like, Oh, I see their point. Oh, oh, uh, what do you do in that moment? Oh, I'll tell you what you do. Do you, do you go, you know what, dear, you were right, I was wrong, I apologize. Heck no, you don't do that. What you do is you dig in your heels and you find a new strategy, right? So, so if you're arguing, here's what you do, okay, like, so, okay, you realize you're wrong and you go, well, well, I don't care for your tone. What about that? Like, I don't, I don't, appreci- I don't appreciate the way that you said that to me. You're like, okay, well, like, the, the issue is now not the issue. The issue is how you spoke to me, even though the issue is clearly the issue and you're trying to dodge it, right? Or what you do is you just steadily find a new issue and you work towards it so that the original issue you might agree on later oh yeah but that wasn't what i was saying what i was saying was just, even though you were saying the other thing why because because it's just to, like to let them have that victory no we're not doing that we're infested <laughs> why because we have a hard time owning it when we drop the ball and have you noticed by the way that no relationship thrives as a result of that I've never met somebody who's like, man, I feel so much closer to you when you blame me for your problems. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> huh. Hey, here's an idea. Here's an idea. If we're going to demonstrate the righteousness of God, what if we actually, hey, you know what? I messed up, and I'm sorry. And no, it wasn't your fault. It was mine. And, and, and okay, listen, you know, I'm not going to, Lord, what you did wrong in the situation. I, nobody's in control of my actions but me. It was me. It was me. It was me. What happened in your marriages if you did that? Last, last service when I was like, hey, you know, last time when you realized you were wrong in an argument with your spouse, I had a couple people who were like, I've never had that problem. Your marriage must be great. So, look, what if we just owned it? Okay, so our story, continuing on in Genesis 16, our story continues. It says, so here's what Abram does. All right, so your slave is now in your hands. So, okay, listen, so originally Sarai goes, all right, listen, I want you to sleep with my slave. He goes, okay. Now, he, now she goes, all right, listen, my, your, my slave is angry. I want you to get rid of her. Okay. All right, so listen, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And so here's what happens. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Sarai goes, I got the green light bring the wrath back. I got the green light to bring the superiority. I got the green light to make her life miserable. Game on. And she treats this poor girl so badly that she runs for her life. And now we're about to watch something in this story as it shifts views. Now, here's, here's the significance. Here. Like We're going to watch as the, 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 the perspective goes away from Abram and Sarai to Hagar. And here's why this is so important. And it's why it's important for us to, to recognize this in our moments of, okay, should I, should I just wait on the Lord? Should I trust God? It's important to recognize something that ultimately at the end of the day, every person matters to God. And your decisions never affect just you. 
Those people that you may cheat, those people that you may lie to, those people that you may engage in things with that you should not engage with, ultimately they matter as much to God as you do. And let's take it a step further. You do matter to God. So this idea of, well, like, God must not be aware, God must not care, it turns out actually he cares a great deal. And so we're going to watch. Okay, so we, it's all, the story has been about Abram and Sarai. Now, for whatever reason, it shifts over to the perspective of Hagar. So here's what happened. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near spring. Now, fun fact for you, just to be a little student of the Bible, this phrase, angel of the Lord, many, many scholars believe that whenever you find this phrase, it's not talking about just any old angel. It's talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. That it's Jesus before he has a body, which is why you find him representing God in really weird, bold ways. Okay, so maybe here. Okay, so look, the angel Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to church. So, hey guys, when I make this up, here's the specific spring where it was. Continues. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai. Hey, Hagar, calls her by name. Slave of Sarai, meaning he knows exactly her circumstances. He knows exactly who she is. Do you know that? Hey, 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 eyes up. Do, do you know that God is acutely aware of what's going on with you? He names, like by calling her slave of Sarai, he's naming the terrible circumstance that she's in. Where have you come from and where are you going? And we've talked about this before, this idea of whenever you find like God asking a question in the scripture, it's never for him to gather new information. He's pulling it out of the person he's asking, okay? So you can sort of hear the, like the tears. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back. Go back, but it's, it's a terrible environment. Yeah, in fact, this isn't the last time that she'll have to, to leave. But there's a bigger thing at play here that she's just not aware of. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. He continues, and the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to can't wait. What's he doing promising this to a slave girl? But he does. And then the angel of the Lord also said to her, You're now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. And you shall name him Ishmael, which, which uh, means God hears. Okay. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> and as the parent of a little boy, I say amen. I get it. All right. Look, he'll be a wild donkey of a man. And his hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. This next part, here's Hagar's response to this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Sees me. She says, I, for I have now seen the one who sees me. Here's the neat thing about this part, okay? And we're going to keep it here for a second because I want you to see it. Everything about Hagar within the original context of this book, would tell its original readers that they should not care about her and that God should not care about her. Look, let me, just, let me just illustrate this. Let me just show you what Hagar has going for her in the story. In a world that's a patriarchal society that where women are second-class citizens, where the only way you're important is if you're rich or powerful, here's what Hagar has. She's a woman. And you only matter if you're a man who's in power in that world. 
She's a woman. On top of that, she's a slave. On top of that, the only reason she's in this story, her only function in this entire thing is to illustrate the faithlessness of Abram and Sarai. That's all that she does in the story. She never really has a moment of like, okay, I'm not going to listen to you guys and I'm going to follow the, none of that. She just goes along with what they say and she engages in this, this terrible relationship. Like the only reason she's there is to show that Abram and Sarai dropped the ball. On top of that, let's just put this a little bit historical, okay? If you're the author of Genesis, Moses, and your original audience are a group of people who were former slaves in Egypt, and you come across a story where the person that's being written about is an Egyptian, do you believe that God favors that person? Nope. Because you've seen God deliver you from them. Hey, if you come across a person who's an Egyptian slave, you know what your response is going to be? Good. Get them. Yeah, good. God's finally turned the tables on my enemies. That's great. So why in the world would you, ex- like, why would you expect God to show up and bless this girl in the way that he does? But he absolutely doesn't. You know why? Because it turns out every person matters to God. It turns out you matter to God. Turns out God is absolutely aware of your circumstance. Turns out that God is very much aware of you. And in those moments when you're finding yourself going, like, like what do I do if I believe that God is not going to come through for me? What we're tempted to do is push God out of mind because we believe that he's not invested in the situation. We think that our decision isn't actually having any significance in the will and plan of God on the earth. But it is. It is. And, and so I, I just, like, in those moments, like, and for those moments, when we find ourselves like, uh, you know, I, God hasn't come through for me, and I'm tempted just to do this. Um, I, I've got just a few questions that I, what I need you to do, I want you just to soak these into your soul. I don't expect you to memorize my talks, but for whatever reason, I'm just going to pray for a miracle of God that like, these questions would go into you so that you'd find yourself, when you're tempted, to, like, I'm just going to take the reins. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to wait for the Lord. I'm just going to do my thing because it's my only option. I want you just to, like, in light of the story with Hagar, I want you just to soak these in and ask yourself, and here's the first one, okay? Do you really believe that he sees? Do you really believe that he sees? Do you really believe? And I know that like we get it cognitively, like, like we get it with like a theological construct. Well, yes, of course God sees because he sees the little ladybug, he sees Jupiter. I understand God sees everything. No, but do you believe he sees you? Do you believe he's moved by you, that he is invested in you, that the hairs on your head are actually numbered to him? That he cares so much that he can't forget you and stop thinking about you. Do you really believe that he sees you, that he's so aware of you, that if he wanted to act in a moment, he absolutely would? Not just he sees in like the theological, like philosophical sense, like, no, he really sees you. Do you really believe that he sees you? You know, a moment where this became a reality for me, I had several. I'm a slow learner. This past summer, um, it was May. My friend Bob Weed is a pastor over at Eagles Nest in Milton. Um, they were having a, a, a guy come in who was a prophet. And uh, look, I, I'm a guy that believes that God gifts in the supernatural. Um, it's not that I, every person who says to me, I'm a prophet, I go, oh, of course you are. Like, no, of course not. Um, but Here's a guy tested. This is his ministry. He goes, hey, listen, we're having this guy come to our church. I would love it if on Saturday night you could come out and just let him minister to you uh, should the Lord lead him. Like, yeah, okay. 
So I go to the service. And uh, this dude I've never met before prays for me. And the very first thing that he does is he calls me out as a minister. Doesn't know me like, at all. Doesn't know me from Adam. And, and, and let me just tell you, like the skeptic in me, when I hear that, I was like, oh, Bob, talk to this guy. That's, what, that's, what, that's what's going on right now. But then the very next thing that he said, no one in that room knew. I had uh, a few years prior uh, gotten into a thing where, where uh, another pastor had really, really burned me. And I never spoke about it publicly. I'm not interested in dividing the family of God, and we all have flaws, and we all drop the ball at points. So I just kept it in. And there came a point where I had the opportunity to absolutely destroy this guy's ministry, and I didn't take it because that wouldn't be right. So I kept it in. And, and, and like, Bob didn't know about that, knowing that. But here's this guy, and he begins to call it out. Hey, here's what happened. Here's what you did. And I'm pleased. I get choked up thinking about it every time because, like, I, I never brought that to God. I was never like, God, are you, like, it was, it was just, I just bottled that in. I kept it. I never wanted to speak about it. And suddenly, here's the Lord speaking through my brother going, look here. And in that moment, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you see me. You see me. And, I, and that would just be my, my refrain the rest of the week. I'd be in my car, but I'd start worshiping the Lord and praise. Like, like, God, you see me. You really do. And I'm telling you that story because if it's true for me, it's absolutely true for you. Do you understand that the Lord sees you? I mean, really. He's aware of you. Really. He's moved by you. Really. That's the first question in light of Hagar saying, how like, you're the one who sees me. Here's the next one. Do you really believe that he satisfies? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you, we, we don't want to think about this. In an age where we have this phrase, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Like, do we want to acknowledge, okay, like, am I, if I'm going to take things into my own hands, am I going to acknowledge that basically what I'm saying is God's way can't fulfill me? I've got to do it mine. I mean, that's scary, but that's really at the heart of it. Okay, listen, if I were to wait for the Lord, if I were to let him have his way, if I were to act with integrity and faithfulness, I would not be okay. That's the belief behind all of it. Are we going to say that? Like, do, or, no, or do you really believe that Jesus can satisfy your soul? Do you really believe that, okay, if you were to wait for God, he's got good things in mind. Well, what if, what, what if it doesn't go out, like, work out the way that I want? It'll work out better because it's God's way, not yours. Do you really believe that he satisfies? Okay, within all of us, there's this, this itching of the soul where we're looking for all these things to satisfy us and we try and fill it with all these different things and it never works. It's just a chasm that we keep throwing things into. What if Jesus was the only one who could satisfy it? Do you really believe that if you followed God's way, you would be satisfied? Chew on that. Evaluate that. It's interesting to note that in this story, where the angel of the Lord finds Hagar is by a spring. Now, this is significant. Pastor Josh talked about this a couple weeks ago, this idea of like one of the ways that God speaks about himself throughout the scriptures is as a spring of living water, right? Like that everything else is these broken cisterns, it's this dirty water, it's the stuff that can't satisfy. And God goes, come to me and drink. Nothing else will satisfy. You come to me and drink. Look, Jesus puts it like this in John 7, 37. He says, Jesus stood in a loud voice and said, let anyone who 
anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Do you believe that Jesus can satisfy your soul? And only he can. Take that in. If you followed his way, would you be satisfied? The answer biblically is yes. Will you step in trust there? I'm learning this in my own life. I keep thinking how many times I've had like nights where I'll just lay awake in bed. You ever do this? Like you lay awake in bed and all you can think about are all your problems. You know what I'm talking about? I'm the only one. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and I sit there and I have these anxieties or, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm bitter about something. I can't believe so-and-so said that to me today. Right? Like, or, 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 or I get jealous. Why don't I have this? Or why don't I have that? And it just like consumes me. And I, and I finally fall asleep. I can't think how many times I've had that night or I've had that morning. And so what I'll do is I'll just go to the Lord. Like I'll go spend time with him in the silence, with the word, in prayer. Like, like I just go to him and, and the longer that I'm there, and it's not about like a certain amount of time, it's just I, I'm there with him and he satisfies my soul. He's, like he fills me with his spirit. He pours into me and all those things that mattered so much to me when I got there just begin to fall off in significance. And it's not that I'm unaware of them. I just don't care about them as much because I've found what I was actually looking for. I've found the satisfaction for my soul in the Spirit of God, in the Spirit of Christ. So I go, hey, for some of you who are, who are anxious, who are just striving for all this stuff, who constantly want to take the reins of your own life, when was the last time you actually just went to the Lord? I mean, I, like, not, like, not just like a superficial, I'm supposed to pray because that's what Christians do. No, but you just went to him, you spent time in his presence and let his Spirit satisfy your soul. He will. Let anyone, let anyone who thirsts, go back, here we go. Let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. That's true for you. Go to him. Do you believe that he'll satisfy you? That a relationship won't. That a job won't. That a check won't. That a substance won't. That a person won't. No, no, the only thing that can actually satisfy you is Jesus. Do you believe that? Last one. Last one. Do you really believe that he saves? Now, <laughs> because we've had enough experience with this word, everybody in this room probably answered, or most people in this room answered, yes, without thinking through the question. I believe he saved, yes, of course. When I die, I believe that Jesus will, will take me to heaven, and one day I'll be, I'll be raised from the dead. I, yeah, of course I believe that he saved. Yeah, because you have no other option. But, but, but do you believe that he saves here? I'm not saying that everybody's going to like be health and wealth and everything's going to be good. No, no. But do you believe the scriptures that, that, that you are within his care and that he will give you exactly what you need when you need it? So, well, I'm tempted to do this, I'm tempted to do that. Okay, but if you wait, do you believe that God will provide for you? You know, it's interesting over and over again, we find examples in the scriptures of people who don't. Abram and Sarai in this moment, you, you could look at King Saul in the book of 1 Samuel, who like God doesn't show up in the way that he wants, so he takes matters into his own hands, and after he does that, God starts, I'm going to raise up another king, a boy named David. And if you know the story of David, you know, David, David, he's promised, you know, a kingship by God, and then it's decades before it actually happens. And, and during that time, he has to flee from Saul. He has to live in the wilderness, hide in caves. He loses everything. And there's a point where, where David writes this in the Psalms. He's talking about how, like, how his enemies are surrounding him and wanting to destroy him. And he, and he has this part in Psalm 27. I just want to, to read together. Psalm 27, 13 says, I remain confident of this. 
And remember, David doesn't know the end of the story. He hasn't been there. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right, not just when I die, not just when, okay, like, you know, hypothetically, I'm, I'm in peril. No, no, here, God will take care of me here. God will have exactly what I have to have here. And I don't know what that looks like, but I believe God's goodness is bigger than my circumstance. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I may not always define it the right way, but it's absolutely true. And so here's what he says to do with that. He says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I know we have a problem with waiting. But that's the solution. What do I do when it feels like God isn't going to come through for me? I wait. What do I do when I'm not sure that my prayers have been answered? I wait. Okay, but, but in your head, because that's so foreign to you, you're thinking about a thousand loopholes for not doing that. What if it was that simple? I wait for God to act. He will act in the exact right way and exactly the right time, and I trust him for that. I will wait for the Lord. I'm not going to take the matters into my own hands. I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to step a place I shouldn't step. I'm going to wait for him because I believe that his way is better than my own. This is foreign to us. But this is a clear precedent of the Scriptures. We see it with Abram and Sarai. They don't wait. Here's how it works out. We see it with Saul. I mean, it's on and on. They don't wait. Here's how it works out. So what if we actually believed that God saves and we waited for him to do it? I know that's scary. I know that's counterintuitive. And we go, but I'm so smart. And, and here's all the reasons I should just, I, you're, you're so smart. But, but God's smarter. What if you just waited? And so what I'm going to do, look, I'm just going to pray. Let's pray together. And if that's scary for you, or if that's causing you to step into a place that you're afraid to go, let's just pray and ask the Lord for trust. But let's together go to him. Let's submit whatever we've got to submit to him. And let's just choose as a people to trust the Lord. And so we pray, Father, we know that you see us. Because you've spoken through your son, Jesus, and promised that you see us. Father, you are aware of us because, because you promised to be, we believe you. Lord, you see my brother, you see my sister. You see what they're going through, and it's scary. But you're more aware of it than they are. We choose to wait on you for the wisdom, for the right course of action. Lord, if the wisdom has not come, if the right course has not come, we choose to stop where we are and not move. We choose to not step into our own will. We choose to not take the reins. We choose not to try and make something happen. We wait for you. You are our salvation. You are our deliverance. God, who do we have but you? Lord, we recognize right now, for the, for the one who's struggling and saying, like, all right, I feel like I don't have enough. Lord, we recognize that our breakfast this morning was a gift from you. We weren't guaranteed this breath. We wait for you. We wait for you. And for the ones um, 
who want to, but Lord, they say, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I'm too afraid to step. I'm too afraid to wait. Lord, would you just give them an, an assurance of your presence, just an awareness of your spirit so they know that they can wait, that you actually are with them. Because we love you and we trust you and we know that you are trustworthy. And we do this all in the name of Jesus, your son. And all God's people said, amen. Bless you guys. We'll see you all next week.